Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and today we are continuing our series about what's my mission. What's my mission? And this whole series, this month, we've been going through really our role as Christians and our mission for Christ, of how um, our, our belief system goes into it, uh, being called out into a mission-style belief, where we're meant to minister Jesus, be the hands and feet of Jesus, show God's love to others in the world. And we've been unpacking how we can better um, articulate our individual missions for Christ. Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit impartation. The Holy Spirit impartation. And today, I really want us to understand the Holy Spirit's role in our own personal lives, and especially when it comes to our mission for Christ. And one of the most crucial components that we need in this world to work out our individual missions for Christ is, in fact, the Holy Spirit. And ironically, the Holy Ghost is usually referred to as almost like this, it's this background noise to our faith. Even though Jesus consistently emphasized its importance. And I want us to understand that, like, don't get me wrong, the Holy Spirit is talked about in church. But even when it is, it, it either comes across this complicated subject or even a mystical idea of God. And I believe wholeheartedly that the power and the working of the Holy Spirit is much more accessible and simple than we realize. So to start off, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to share my own personal experience, some, a story um, from my life, because a lot of the confusion when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and even a lot of church hurt that has come when, on this topic of the Holy Spirit. And so... For me, my first experience with uh, this this idea of the Holy Ghost was really when I was about 17 years old and early on in my faith journey. I had just started going to church, uh, and I gave my life to Christ from reading the Bible for the first time. I started going to church a couple months later when someone finally invited me, and one uh, I, I I started attending regularly. And one Wednesday service in the evening. I went to the church, just like normal, and they had this altar opportunity for anyone that wants prayer. And Terry, sorry, we're live and everything, but I just, it's so excited to see Terry coming back. Um, so anyway, there, there we were, there I was uh, at this church service, made an altar call opportunity. And for me, I just would always go up to the altar anytime there's an opportunity for prayer. I just... In my mind, it's like any any chance I can get closer to God, then I want it. I need it. And so I would just always go up regardless of what they would even be praying for. It didn't matter to me. I was like, all right, I'm just going to go get prayer. Like, maybe they won't notice I didn't come up for this specific prayer. I'll just kind of blend in. And there's this certain night where this lady ended up coming and praying over me. And... And as I was worshiping and praying, uh, I was worshiping God and praying, this lady came up and she started praying over me. And she, out of nowhere, she started speaking in tongues. And 
she was praying over me and she's speaking in tongues. And it took me a couple seconds to realize that she wasn't speaking Spanish, okay? And, and all of a sudden, I was, I was listening, kind of interrupted my prayer session, my worship session. I was like, okay. And as she continued to pray over me, I was like, all right, you know, cool, whatever. And, but then she started praying for me to receive the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And to be filled with fire. And she was like really getting into it too. She was like yelling, stopping her feet, shaking my hands. I was like, okay, all right, yeah. And and for me, I was like, well, yeah, I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want to I want to be passionate and on fire. Sure thing. Like, let's do it. But then she started uh, what it seemed like. She started uh, wanting me to speak in tongues too. And that's when I was like, okay, like I don't know about all that business. <laughs> like you. You do whatever you want to do, but that's just like, it's really weird for me. And I don't even, uh, I don't know what you're doing, but I think you might be crazy. So she was, she was just like really getting into it. And she started, uh, you know, not yelling, but saying really loudly things like, just let it come out of your mouth. Receive the Holy Spirit. Let it come out. And I was like, okay. And so I just was trying to be polite, and I just continued, you know, singing the worship song to kind of give a signal like, I'm not going to try to do anything right now. I'm just going to continue to worship. And I just try to be polite as I continue to worship and smiling. And she eventually moved on. The uh, I went back to my chair. The service ended. And it's fine. But I went home that night really, really curious. I was incredibly curious about this whole realm of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. And I felt like this... This inner, this inner conflict with my curiosity because I've read in the Bible this idea of speaking in tongues. I remember passages in which people received, uh, uh, specifically received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I still felt confused about especially like the speaking in tongues. And, and I ended up just getting on my knees and praying to God. I got on my knees and I prayed to God, and I just told God that I, I really don't understand this whole thing. I don't understand it, but if it brings me closer to you, then I want it. And I then just kind of like braced myself, and I began praying for God to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Now, when I initially started praying this simple idea, like baptize me in the Holy Spirit, I didn't initially feel like this jolt of electricity through my body. I didn't see like this golden cloud come down. I was just like, this is kind of deflating. And so I, I started thinking, you know, as I was praying about what that lady was saying, at some point she was like, open your mouth and let the words come out by faith. And I was like, is anyone around here? And even though there was no one else in my room, I was on my knees in my prayer position. And I started thinking, well, maybe I, I can try to, like, replicate some of the words. Like, maybe I can get things going here, get the Holy Spirit in the mood. And forcibly speak in tongues. And... I prepared myself, and I remember feeling distinctly embarrassed, even though there's no one else in the room. I didn't understand why. And I finally just threw, threw off this timidity, and I just tried to let it rip, you know? And I was like, well, let me, let me, let me go here. And I, I forced myself to say, ah, ba ba. Ah, ba ba. This is like as complicated as I could get, right? I didn't get more complex, you know, if you ever trying to practice, just say, retie my bow tie really fast, right? <laughs> Retie my bow tie. Retie my bow tie. Retie my bow tie. Or maybe you could say, I bought a Honda, but I should have bought a Chevy. 
say it a little faster, I bought a hundred, but I should have bought a Chevy. Oh. See, and all of a sudden, whoa, you're speaking in, in mature tongues. But, see, almost instantly, when I, when I let out those, forci those forcibly composed words, I just felt like this rush in my spirit that's really hard to articulate. And I almost, almost instantly felt just like really good. Felt really good. I felt happy. I even felt refreshed and excited. And from that moment, I started speaking in tongues. Now, fast forward a couple, uh, six to eight months, I went to this ministry training program in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and it was a really intense program, okay? It had like a boot camp and everything. A physical, actual boot camp in which someone ended up having to go to the hospital. Like they were in the hospital for several months because of how intense it was. Do not recommend this kind of ministry program to anyone. But I was very young and I was impressionable and I, I was in this territory of church and Christianity which I was very new to. And within the first month of this program, they had this, this set-apart time for prayer and deliverance. Now, this was a non-denominational church that acted like a Pentecostal church. And if you've ever been raised in church, I was not, so this was all new to me. They, they had, like, some pretty intense, like, delivering sessions, okay? And they had, this is how it went down, that as the leadership led and prayed over all the people that are part of this ministry program, they were praying for everyone to be set free and loose of any demons that might be there. And they would put on the screen all these different lists of demons as they were like going section by section. And they had some demons I didn't even know about. Like there's demons of bad attitude, <laughs> demons of disloyalty. There might have been a demon of a bad hair day. I don't know. But they were just going through all of these lists. And at some point on the screen showed this, this spirit, this evil spirit of the Antichrist. And they, they described that one of the signs of this Antichrist spirit was a false tongue. I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm do I, I, who did I think I was thinking I was a, a good Christian? I've obviously been speaking in this false tongue this entire time. I'm still possessed by demons. And so I was like really concerned and I started begging God to take away this Antichrist spirit that was obviously possessing my soul. And while I was praying for God to deliver me fervently, I accidentally started speaking in tongues. And I was like, oh my gosh, this demon is out of control. <laughs> and see, I share these, these two stories to show how simple, how simple the Holy Spirit can be and how silly we can be with the Holy Spirit. We can make something so simple and we can also take it to a completely silly, ridiculous level to where it's not God, it's just our, our imaginations almost. And I, my, my heart in today's message is, is for us to really understand that the Holy Spirit ministers in such incredible ways. See, even though I, I look at that as the first moment that I was quote unquote like filled with the Holy Spirit, this clear, distinct moment for me, I, I, I know for a fact that the Holy Spirit was moving in my life way before that point. See, even when I was far away from God, I remember distinct moments where I felt this, this like spiritual sense of a warning of not to go somewhere, not to do something. And when I ignored it, I got into a lot of trouble. It was like, oh, I thought I had like the sixth sense. 
but it's really the Holy Spirit trying to save me from, from my own damaging ways. And I, I remember even when I was trying to get close to God and the Holy Spirit just whispering to me and leading me into this direction of understanding Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit is so much more approachable. And I hope that today as we go to the depth of it, that we learn biblically, biblical theology to the Holy Spirit, the clear distinction of the Holy Spirit, and understand the, pra the practical application of the Holy Spirit. And by the end of this message... I hope that you realize how accessible it is to you. And if you have any doubts of you being filled with the Holy Spirit, simply ask and you will receive. So let's begin talking about the expectancy and importance of the Holy Spirit by looking at the, the, the precepts before leading up to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was first poured out on the world. It says in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, and this is Jesus talking uh, he's talking to the disciples before he ascends to heaven, after he's resurrected. He's already died on the cross. And he says, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So he literally tells the disciples, Don't leave from here. Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. He puts that much emphasis and importance on it. And then look at what it says in John. When he, when he visits the disciples before he ascends again, it says, So Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you, just as the Father has sent me, I also sent you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just interject an idea here. Because some people believe that this is like a form of prayer that we're supposed to breathe on each other. Like you come up to prayer and go, and breathe on you. And... While someone is inclined to do that, great. But what I see here is they did not receive the Holy Spirit in this moment. Because that doesn't happen until Pentecost. And so when Jesus breathes on them and says to receive the Holy Spirit, those are it doesn't necessarily mean that those are two exact same things. It's not that he breathes on them for them to receive the Holy Spirit. But keep in mind this whole time he's trying to show them how he's a real bodily figure. He ate in front of them. He showed them the wounds in his feet and his hands. And there was, it says that they still doubted. When he breathed on him in this moment, what I believe is Jesus further showing them that he was bodily resurrected. That he wasn't a spirit or an idea or an entity. That he was bodily resurrected. He's like, see, y'all think what I'm saying? But he still says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then here, before Jesus crucified, this is from John the Baptist. He says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we see this clear expectancy of the Holy Spirit, and it's part of Jesus' connection to us, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I want us to first understand that the Holy Spirit is just as important. The Holy Spirit is just as important. Scripture clearly tells us that the Holy Spirit is something to be expected, and it describes it as something distinct. It's not this like imaginary feeling, it's a distinct nature. And it's not something vaguely hinted at, it, it's not described as like, uh, uh, like part of the universe, it's very distinct in its nature. And it, it was really specific. And when we look at clear expectation of it, which led to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we can conclude further that it is not just an analogy or an idea, but truly an aspect and an entity of God himself. 
So what that leads us to understand is the idea and concept of the Trinity. The Trinity. Our beliefs as a church is that God is seen in the, in the idea of the Trinity. And that is being one God seen in three persons. One God seen in three aspects of God. And that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And see, these three aspects of God are all equally God, but reveal themselves to humanity in different ways. They're all equally God, but reveal themselves to humanity in different ways. Jesus came in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is what comes after Jesus. It's in this this uh, spiritual sense. And God the Creator is always referenced to being in heaven. Right? God the Father. And so we see them all differently interacting with man, but they all have this unified role and mission of uniting humanity back with himself. Back with God. They all have that same purpose, even though they convey themselves in three different ways. And so I want us to also understand that while God chooses to reveal himself in, the, in this way that is understandable to us as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand that this is just a way for our human minds to understand. A way that he conveys himself. Just because he displays himself in this relational way does not imply there has to be a mother God. That is just simply how God re uh, refers to himself so that we can understand him. And when we try to... Uh, when we try to make assumptions, it creates dangerous theology. When we try to make assumptions about God, we make dangerous theologies. So we must understand that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that is how God chose to reveal himself to us. Now, this idea of the Trinity, you might think that sounds kind of complicated at first, but I, I have an idea that I feel like it is, makes it really simple to understand. It helped me to understand, I believe it will help you to understand. And that is... The idea of an orange. An orange. Not an apple, because we always refer to that as the evil fruit in the Garden of Eden, right? The orange is obviously better. Joke. But, see, the orange is one orange, right? But it has three different parts that make up that orange. The peel, the pulp, and the seed. Those three parts make up one orange, right? Y'all with me? Let me check my notes. Yes, the peel, the pulp, and the seed, okay? So the peel, see, the peel the, is the flesh of the orange. Imagine the peel. It's the flesh of the orange, and it is the one thing that is initially tangible for us to see and feel. Everything beyond the flesh, beyond the peel of the orange, is really believed by faith. We believe that it has pulp and seed by faith because we cannot see it past the peel. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Y'all following me? And so, we can only access what is beyond the peel, what has been believed by faith, by the ripping of the flesh. Ripping of the peel itself. And I attribute this to be very similar to Jesus, who was God in the flesh, and it was only because of the ripping of his flesh on the cross that we are able to access the rest of God himself. Y'all feel what I'm saying? It's the only part that is what we can see, what we can feel, what we can touch on this earth. And it's only because of his 
tearing the flesh that we are able to access the rest of himself. Next is the pulp. This is the part that is all of the nutrients, the flavor, and the juiciness. And while it was only unlocked by the peeling of the flesh, it gives vitality to the individual that is filled with it. Right? See, this is the Holy Spirit. It regenerates us. It fills us with, it fills our lives with power and with joy. And we are given access to it because of Jesus on the cross. And then finally is the seed of the orange. The seed of the orange. Everything begins and ends with the seed of the orange. The seed is the author, the author and the finisher of the orange. Think about it. It was always a whole orange inside of the seed. The moment that it was just a seed, it was still a whole orange inside of it. As the orange produced the flesh, as it showed itself through the flesh, through the, through the peel, and through the pulp, that was how it was able to interact with us as mankind. But it was always a seed, and after, you, after you're done with everything of the orange, the seed is what's left. See, this is Father God, the Creator, and even though He reveals Himself through the peel and the pulp so that we could engage with it, the seed is God the Father, the originator, the author, and the creator, just like the seed is. So we can understand the realness and tangibility of the Holy Spirit through this idea of the Trinity. So let's unpack this idea that the Holy Spirit is necessary and available in a, in an available experience to your faith. The Holy Spirit is a necessary and available experience to your faith. Look at what Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says. It says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with His mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. See, notice that it says not on the basis of deeds. See, we, we are not saved by our merit. We are not saved by our works or how good we can be. We are only saved by the righteousness of Christ himself. It is only because of what he did on the cross that we are able to be saved. So if our salvation is not by our own merit, why would the access to the Holy Spirit be based on our merit? If salvation is a free gift, why would the gift of the Holy Spirit, that is how it is described, why would it be based on our merit? The reason I'm emphasizing this is because some doctrines and churches have led people to believe that if they don't speak in tongues, then they haven't earned the Holy Spirit yet. They're not good enough. They have sin in their life. They have something wrong with them. And I've seen so many people struggle with their faith because of this false concept in theology. It says it is not based on our merits, but it is by God's mercy. And so simply call on God yourself. Don't compare your experience to others, but call on Jesus. Call on God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and He will answer you. And if you want someone to pray over you, maybe you just need this increase of faith, like I just want someone to pray for me, then during worship time, come up to the front, and I'll pray for you. But you must know that you can't compare yourself to others, that God is not overlooking you, He's not neglecting you, but that He has this beautiful gift just for you. And if you have any doubts, just ask, and you'll receive it. Now, now that we understand the necessity of the Holy Spirit, its baptism, and the availability of it to us as believers, let's go into this dip, the different forms of manifestations of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. We're going to look see how it looks different. It looks different. 
And the reason that we're going to unpack this, this concept is not only for you, but for people that are a part of your mission. The people that you one day are going to minister to, maybe even unwittingly. And they're going to look to you for the answers of, of, for questions in their faith. And you're going to be able to help them to understand the Holy Spirit because of what we're learning today. It's not about just, oh, well, just come to church with me. You are the church, and you bring Jesus to others. Even when, if you think little of yourself, you are still an ambassador of Christ. God uses you. God loves you. And it doesn't matter how good or bad we are. We all have a mission for Christ. Y'all feel me? So let's look at some passages that have the accounts of baptisms of the Holy Spirit. We're going to break down each one to understand sound theology how the Holy Spirit operates. Again, for us and for others we may minister to. The first passage is known as Pentecost and is the most referenced passage as the Holy Spirit first fell upon believers in the earth. It says in Acts chapter 1, or sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came down from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and tongues that looked like fire appeared on appeared to them, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak out with different tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. So I want to make some emphasis here because this was a very distinct moment that is incomparable to any other moment in Scripture when referencing the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It was so loud, and it was so obvious, it was so clearly supernatural, that says within the same chapter that thousands of people came and surrounded this building out of curiosity of wondering what happened. And so it was so distinct, and it drew so much attention, and it shows that it was not just, all of the attention that it, uh, that it uh, attributed shows that it was not just an analogy of noise and fire. That it was truly something audible and visible in this moment. And I believe that the reason this Holy, the Holy Spirit had this kind of display was because it was an all, it was, it was a pouring out all access moment from God. See, this, this kind of all access pouring out of the Holy Spirit was made because of the blood of Jesus which had just made a massive atonement for the earth, had been poured out on the earth. Before this point, in Genesis, we see that the Holy Spirit hovered over the seas. It hovered over the earth. We see in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden because the Holy Spirit did not want to, it could not attribute itself with the sin that was around them. And we only see in moments in Scripture where certain people were able to connect with the Holy Spirit of God when, as they were seeking righteousness, as they were seeking God. So we only see just touch points. But in this moment, we see the Holy Spirit being poured out because now the world's wickedness cannot stand a chance against God's grace and mercy. And it would, now it's, now it's uh, this floodgate is opening up at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit takes back dominion of the earth from the enemy to, and it has this ability now to move freely over the earth regardless of sin because of the blood of Jesus that was poured out. So with all that being said though, we still see in this passage each individual believer that were praying to receive the Holy Spirit received their own tongue of fire. 
They each received their own tongue of fire. And this leads us to believe that while the Holy Spirit is poured out onto the earth, each believer still receives their own individual filling of the Holy Spirit. And notice that the Holy Spirit fell upon them as they were simply praying. They were praying and asking God to send the Holy Spirit, to fill them with the Holy Spirit. No one was laying hands or anything like that. And while they were seeking God and literally asking God, God sent the Holy Spirit and answered them. Now, I want us to look at this next passage. Again, we're looking at how these moments look different. The second passage is the story. It's one of my favorite stories, and it's the first Gentile convert in the book of Acts, chapter 10. And it's a moment where Peter goes to Cornelius and administers the gospel message to him and his entire family, and they are saved and baptized. And it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the, to the message. And all the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gifts of the Holy Spirit had also been poured out on the Gentiles. And for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. They, then Peter responded, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who receive the Holy Spirit just as we did. And notice it says that they were speaking with tongues and exalting God. Some were speaking in tongues and some were exalting God. It says, and. See, what's, what's interesting about this moment is that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit the moment that they believed in Jesus. The moment that they believed in Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior to the world. Peter didn't even finish preaching yet. He didn't even finish sharing his message. And he didn't even give an altar call. He didn't even get a chance to have an opportunity for prayer. But they were sealed by the Holy Spirit with this manifestation the moment that they genuinely believed and put their hope in Jesus. They didn't even have to make an audible confession like some churches portray. They didn't have to go up to the front of everyone and expose themselves like, I want to, yes, me, I want to give my life to Christ right now. Look, everybody. But just as they believed, they were saved and they were sealed by the Holy Spirit. I think that it's important to note that Peter would have felt conflicted in water baptizing them if there was not a visible and audible sign of the Holy Spirit already filling them. He would have felt conflicted because uh, he, he, he still thought at this moment that Jesus' salvation was only for the Jews. And the, I would project that the Holy Spirit worked in this unique way to confirm to Peter that God was giving all access of his salvation to, to the whole world rather than just the Jews. And so that we shouldn't use this as this universal witness as a, as, a, as a reason for anyone to be saved. There's some denominations that believe that if you do not speak in tongues, then you're not really saved. I don't think that we can make that kind of leap because of the scripture. Now this third, this third passage is Paul's third missionary journey. This is the last passage we're going to look at at this point. This is Paul's third missionary journeys, Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. And it says, Now it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, On the contrary, we have not even heard if there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, And so what then were you baptized? Look, I'm about to give you all some extra credit stuff. 
And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon him, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And prophesying. Some were speaking in tongues. Some began in their own language exalting God and prophesying. See, this story is exceptional because not only do we see Paul make a clear distinction between the, uh, the water baptism of repentance and the water baptism of identifying with Jesus. Notice that he said, they said, we were already water baptized. We were, we were baptized in repentance. You see, that's what so many people think that baptism is, is, is being baptized to represent uh, repentance. And he says, oh no, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus because it's not by works, it's only by Jesus that one is saved. And so water baptism is not laying down my life to sin, but it's identifying when Jesus was laid in the tomb. When we come out of the water, it identifies when Jesus resurrected. It's not laying my old life down. It's not repentance. That's natural repercussion of a new life in Christ. But it's all about the identity in Jesus. And what else does he do? Not only does he make that, that correction in water baptism, but he specifically checks for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he lays his hands on them and prays for them to specifically receive the Holy Spirit baptism. See, through these three passages, we've seen people receive the Holy Spirit by praying just by themselves. We've seen people receive the Holy Spirit by, uh, by just simply believing in, G in Jesus and instantaneously receiving it. And we've seen the people receive the Holy Spirit baptism by a spiritual leader laying hands on them to receive it. Three different ways in which people receive the Holy Spirit and two of which where the people unexpectedly received it. They had no idea what was happening. The reason I emphasize it is because the Holy Spirit isn't limited to our comfortability or our understanding. I want to emphasize understanding because so many people think that they have to really, really, really understand the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and understand tongues and understand this and understand that before they could ever really receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Two-thirds of the people didn't even know what was going on. See, the Holy Spirit is not complicated. We can really just simply ask and receive it. And we can receive it by faith, knowing and believing that I ask God and I believe that He gave it to me. This, it, we don't have to have this, this ooga-booga moment. That's great if we do. Hallelujah. Praise God. But we, we can believe by faith. And isn't that what Jesus said? To Thomas, when Thomas said, I will not believe unless I see it. Unless I see Jesus with my own eyes. Unless I feel it. If I feel the wounds in his hands and his feet, only then will I believe. And Jesus comes back just to show him. And he says, you believe because you saw and you felt it. But blessed is the one who believes without seeing your feeling. So does that not give a segue for us? To understand that not only do we believe in salvation by faith, but we can believe the receptive of the Holy Spirit when we ask, Jesus says, we will receive. So we should not compare ourselves to others. And we should not self-condemn ourselves and think, well, I must not be good enough 
to receive the Holy Spirit because I don't have this kind of experience like someone else did. No, believe and receive. What's more, the Spirit manifested in this third story through both, through each of these stories, by speaking in tongues and by prophesying, by exalting God. And so I believe this is critical to understand that as we break down in this next part, speaking in what speaking in tongues is, and understanding the role of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, speaking in tongues is a really popular topic of debate. And the reason we're talking about it is because it's direct connection to the Holy Spirit. And I hope that as we talk about it, you get some clarity and some peace. Because there's different types of tongues that we see in Scripture, and all of which are compelled by the Holy Spirit. And to compelled by the Holy Spirit to utter and to speak out of one's own mouth. One of the forms is speaking in an earthly language that you know and understand. That's just simply this, this compelling to exalt God or to, to speak things that, that are in your heart and you, that, are un, that you don't even know why they're there. This unexplainable desire to say certain things about God that's prophesying, that's exalting God. See, it's not usually looked at as a form of speaking in tongues because because it is, it is it is prophesying, but the idea of it is still the same. It's the compelling of the Holy Spirit to speak out of your own mouth. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And when, when talking specifically about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul, uh, he talks about speaking in tongues and prophesying together and saying that one has the ability to control their own mouth. So we can put them in the same boat. The other form, another form, is speaking out in earthly languages in which you don't know. And that's, a, that's the idea. If you have this compelling to start speaking, you don't even know what you're speaking, but it's an actual language of earth. I know a missionary that was in the Ukraine, and he started speaking in tongues while he was ministering on stage, and he found out later that he was speaking Czech. He thought he was just speaking in tongues, but he was speaking Czech. If I started just speaking in tongues right now, and it was Mandarin, but I don't know Mandarin, that's a form of speaking in tongues. And some people uh, will try to make the claim that that is the only form of speaking in tongues that's referred to in Scripture. But let's go, go on. The, the final one is, is what's described as the final form is speaking and this speaking out in, in unknown and heavenly through heavenly languages or through utterances and groanings that we do not understand unless the Holy Spirit gives an interpretation. See, that's that form that, that sounds the weirdest. That every time I bow tie stuff. I bought a Honda, but I should have bought a Chevy stuff. See, that's the stuff that, that sounds really weird. And people say, well, that's just foolishness. It's not really spiritual. The Bible, whenever it talks about tongues in the Bible, it's talking about different languages. At Pentecost, there's two, two ideas of understanding. There's people that said, look, there's people from all over and that are speaking in languages that we know. How is this possible? And then there's people saying, these people are drunk. <laughs> one was intelligible while one was unintelligible. They were doing both. Why would they accuse them of being drunk if they're speaking in clear language? There's, other, there's specific scripture where Paul talks about groanings and utterings that we cannot understand, but that only the Holy Spirit does Paul even says that there's a, that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the interpretation of tongues. Why would we need a spiritual gift 
of interpreting tongues if we could just have a translator. Y'all feel what I'm saying? It's a specific gift. And so some denominations believe that if you, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit, while other denominations deny the ability to speak in tongues altogether. And I believe that when we look at Scripture as a whole, we can get some clarity on the subject. Because in 1 Corinthians, this is a great book to look for yourself when it comes to the topic of speaking in tongues. Because really, chapters 12 and 14 speak in depth about speaking in tongues. And we see in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verse 30, that Paul clearly says, within his dialogue, he says, not all gifts of the Spirit are for everybody. Do all prophesy? No. Do all have the gift of teaching? No. And he says, do all have the gift of speaking in tongues? No. So we can take that scripture and see that Paul clearly says, right in that verse, that not all believers speak in tongues. We can make that kind of projection. But to, but to, to make a leap that there's no speaking in tongues at all, there's, it talks about it a lot in scripture. Now, another thing that we see in Acts 2 is that, just like I said, tongues can be human language, just, uh, human language and, and also languages that no one understands. Just like we see in, uh, in Pentecost in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. It also says, makes clear, that tongues is not ecstatic speech, meaning that you're always able to control your own mouth. That even though you feel this like urge and this uttering, that you can still hold back if you need to. The reason that Paul speaks about this uh, in depth is because the church of Corinth, it seemed like everybody was speaking in tongues in that place, and they were interrupting the entire service repeatedly as people would just jump up and start speaking in tongues. And so Paul says, you have the ability to control it. Do everything in an orderly way. Have a normal service and let the, let the teacher teach. Not, uh, and he talks, that's where he talks about how I would rather speak in three tangible words that could be understood rather than a thousand words no one can understand. And that's where he makes the claim that, that the speaking in tongues is for the betterment of one's own faith. While prophesying and teaching is for the betterment of other people's faith. See, for me, when I pray in tongues, I, the reason I don't start praying in tongues wildly during service or when anyone comes up to the, the altar is because when I pray in tongues, it's to build up my own faith, not someone else's. There's plenty of times where I don't know what to pray. You would think as a pastor that I have all these things to pray about, but maybe I get just so overwhelmed I don't know where to start, so I pray in tongues, or maybe I'm just a knucklehead and I don't know where to start, so I just pray in tongues. Either way, that's what the gift is for me. There's plenty of times where I'm speechless and I pray in tongues for, for sometimes my whole prayer time because it's just building up my faith. And if it were not for that gift for me personally, I'd be lost a lot of times. So we must understand that it is not to be a form of ministry for others, but one ministry for oneself. But Paul also says within the same chapter that tongues should not be forbidden in the church either. He says, look, y'all need to chill out. I'm not saying to stop it like all together. No one should. But chill out. Y'all are making things weird. This is literally, if you look at the whole chapter, that, that is really what he's saying. Y'all are just making things weird. Just, just calm down. You don't have to forbid it. But just that's not how you should lead the service. It's not helping people. That's what he's saying. So if we understand these simple concepts when it comes to the idea of speaking in tongues, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we can better understand the manifestation of this baptism 
I want us to end with a final thought of the practical display of the Holy Spirit in an individual. And that is while we, how the Holy Spirit looks and helps us be logically practical. In illogically practical ways. I want to share this story in Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 18. This is Paul's second missionary journey. And it says, It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave woman who had the spirit of divination met us, who was bringing great profit to her masters by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us and cried out repeatedly, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Sounds very helpful, right? Well, she continued doing this for many days. And Paul was greatly annoyed. And he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. See, in this moment is a moment that doesn't really make sense. I mean, when I first read this, I'm like, why, is, why would Paul do that? It seems like that demon was helping them. <laughs> they were, he was going around, this, this spirit was going around confirming what they were saying. And see, this is a moment for Paul where he was led by the Holy Spirit through annoyance. <laughs> it's like, I did not know that my kids annoying me was actually the Holy Spirit guiding me. <laughs> That's a joke, right? But... See, we see this moment, it seems illogical that Paul would want to cast out this spirit if it is affirming what he is saying. But see, the spirit knows better than us. And when he did this, think about how this spirit, this, this the demonic spirit, is very cunning. It says that the devil is coy, that he's cunning, that he's smart. And... While it may have, if you just read it, put it on paper, it seems like he's, it's just doing a, something nice or affirming it. What it was actually doing was distracting people from Paul's message in a very discreet way, in a very manipulative way. It was taking the attention off of Paul's message and taking the attention for itself. It's very cunning. It's very manipulative. See, just because something sounds right doesn't mean that it is right. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit for those illogical moments. Because the Holy Spirit can be incredibly practical. Look at this other passage in the same chapter, Paul's second missionary journey. It says they passed through by uh Friday? There we go. In Galatian region, after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And we had, when he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I mean, obviously, right? <laughs> we concluded that after a man clearly told us to go to Macedonia, that God might have wanted us to go there. See, what makes this story interesting is who would have thought the Holy Spirit would tell someone to not preach the gospel somewhere? Would you ever think that God would tell you to not go somewhere to share the gospel message? 
We see that the Holy Spirit is essential for these moments in life that don't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Why would God tell me not to minister the loving message of Jesus Christ somewhere? But it's because the Holy Spirit is much more wise than us. It knows the direction. It's, God is outside of time. He knows what is the best path. And see, it could be the right thing at the wrong time and become the wrong thing. If Paul would have went to Asia, it's believed by theologians that the gospel message could have very well died off in the very paganistic uh, uh, style of religion in Asia. But instead, it went west, and not only did, did it go to, to the people of Macedonia, but it continued in, into Rome, into, into Europe, and is literally what projected us to have America set, uh, America settlers today. It is believed that there possibly not even, that it would have altered history itself if Paul would have went to Asia anyway. But that this very act set a course that, was, that, that made a pathway for uh, America to be one of the most, uh, mo most prominent Christian nations in the world to where more missionaries come out of America than any other country in the world. People in America give financially to charities, to, to third world countries more than any other country in the world. People in America adopt and foster more than any other country in the entire world. It was a pathway that all oh made. Hey, look, I'm not saying America doesn't have problems, all right? But what I'm getting at is that it made a pathway. And it, it, it was all by this, this illogical moment where Paul listened to the Holy Spirit, even though it didn't make sense, and ended up being incredibly practical. These are just a couple moments where we see how necessary the Holy Spirit is in our lives to make so much more effective what we're doing for God. And I want to be clear that this does not mean that we have to pray 100 days to see who God wants us to speak to. Paul was already in action. He was already in a, a lifestyle prayer, and he was going. He was just going through this routine. He's like, "Bam, plant a church. Bam, plant a church." This is his. This is his second missionary journey. He was traveling, walking on foot, and he was ministering the gospel everywhere he went. This is one moment while in action that the Holy Spirit said, "Wait, do something differently." And so we still have the access, the freedom to just go and share the gospel. It doesn't mean that we have to wait for the Holy Spirit to to tell us where to go. Because Jesus already said the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. But this is just a moment where we see how vital the Holy Spirit is while we are in, the, in our mission. While we are in the work of it, the thick of it. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So with that being said, I want us to, as we've been talking about the Holy Spirit impartation, I want to close with this. Maybe at, at some point in this message, maybe specifically when I was talking about how God's salvation is not based off of our merit. That there's nothing, truly nothing that we could do to earn righteousness, to earn goodness. That, is only, uh, that salvation is only by the grace of Jesus on the cross. Maybe when I said that, you realized that you've never had a moment where you put your own trust and identity in Jesus Christ yourself. Maybe you've been on the bandwagon and you're like, well, I'll try to be a good person and, you know, maybe things will work out. 
but today you realize that it doesn't matter how, how goody good we could be, it doesn't matter how bad we've been, that is only based in the mercy of Jesus. And you want to make that decision to put your identity in Him today. I want everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. If that's you here today, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see all your hands. So just there to yourself, I want you to start talking to Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who He says He is, surely you shall be saved. It's saying... If you have your own conversation with him with a genuine heart and acknowledge who he is, the Son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead for the world's sins, that's all it takes to start this journey in relationship with him. It doesn't matter how good we've been or how bad we've been. It's only about what Jesus did on the cross. and It's only because of the resurrection. So you don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can have that conversation yourself. Now, as they do that, if you're here and you have been battling this, these questions of the Holy Spirit in your life, you've been conflicted about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whether or not you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and this has been exactly what you needed to hear, and maybe you're here and you're just saying, I surrender to the Holy Spirit and I want the Holy Spirit in me. No matter if you feel like you've been baptized with it or not, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. See all your hands. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this moment and during worship that you would supernaturally fill each individual here that wants you, that's ready to you, has a heart for you, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, that you'd baptize them, fill them up, and give them a confirmation within their cells to know without doubt that you that you help and give a tangible peace, a tangible presence, a tangible feeling, whatever it is, for them to feel confirmed within themselves of your Holy Spirit. And God, I thank you for those who already know and believe by faith your feeling of them. And I pray that you just rejuvenate them and refresh them and that you cause them to experience your presence in a supernatural way as well. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now before we go into worship, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. Have a good life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.